Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I am your host, Shane Simonson. Our guest on this episode is photographer Nick Bolera, who is also the owner and creative director of Harbor Studio in Gig Harbor, Washington. In this episode, we learn how a hobby of taking pictures at a concert led to a career as a professional photographer. Nick tells us about his time at Hillsong College in Australia. He talks about traveling the United States, gathering content for a book, and how that led to a full-time job at the Filson headquarters in Seattle, Washington. Nick talks about his love for traveling with his photography and his passion for community, which led him to open a studio space in his hometown. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. And now I present my conversation with Nick Bolera. Okay, I'm here with Nick Bolera of the Harbor Studio in Gig Harbor, Washington. This place is pretty amazing. It's overlooking the harbor. There's a million dollar yachts, just a stone's throw away. I wouldn't throw a stone at him. <laughs> so you are the owner operator and creative director of this space. Yes, sir. Tell me about yourself. Give me the quick one two story of Nick Bolera. Story of Nick Bolera. I mean, I grew up around here. Um all the way through a little after high school and uh, moved around a little bit, lived in Colorado, lived in Australia, both for school, um, have music um, actually was my first pursuit, um, which still is kind of in the background um, before even I picked up a camera ever. So, um, but a camera and music is kind of how my photography kind of even started in the first place. Um, being at a at a, a festival and some guy saw me taking pictures in the back and he needed some pictures because his photographer left um, before the end of the the end of the night and um, and that's really kind of that was the first job was getting hired by this guy who worked for a music promotional site and he hadn't been around really that long at the time that um, that we had met that was back in 2012. The summer of 2012. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't even know who he was. He didn't, until afterwards, I looked at his card and I was like, oh, that guy was the, the owner of this thing he was talking about. Switchfoot was the band that was the headline that night. And I caught some decent photos of being in the back of a field and I had like a pretty good zoom lens on. So I, yeah, caught some cool moments. But being a musician prior, like for me, it's, probably easier than maybe some to be able to capture those moments because you you just kind of know where things are going and you can kind of you almost feel the the direction of uh, a big moment or a solo or you know um or what what maybe tells a, a good story about a concert because ultimately like as much as they're playing a bunch of songs you know they're trying to take you on a bit of a journey you know with their song choice you know their set list were you pursuing photography at all leading up to that or was it more of a hobby no it's just a hobby it just i mean i had a just a kind of your your standard like kit set that you get from costco i got from for my a christmas or something the year prior you know or maybe two years prior but i didn't you know it was just something that i i like to do and it was it was fun and I wasn't very good at editing at the, you know, I could frame a shot and I could take a good, you know, um, yeah, a good picture, but at the, <laughs> probably wasn't the best at editing at that time because that's not really something I've ever looked into doing or it's just, you kind of play around with it and you're like, oh, that looks cool. And that's, you know, that was really the extent of, yeah, you of my photography. <laughs> you probably so, didn't understand the parameters, like what, like what makes a good photo at that point. I mean, the not, science not fully, of it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't really, like, for, I mean, I can go out with friends now and that don't have any experience with a photo that might be actually naturally good at s seeing something, but they don't know why it's good. Right. You know, they can be like, I really like this, but they don't really understand w you know, what makes their eyes and mind and everything connect with this photo. And if it's if it's something technical like like leading lines or or proportions of three or um, these little things that make your, your photo naturally just look nice. Um, but there's, yeah, a lot of people can just pick up a camera and, you know, go, oh, that, that looks good, but they don't necessarily understand why. And I was definitely in that place at that time. 
So that was 2012. 2012, yeah. And you got a cool opportunity yep. to share your photos with a guy. Yeah, and I was doing community college. I was interning at my church. You know, I was just like this local kid. And then I was getting ready to go to school that fall, which was fun because then I had, I got to go to shows for free all the time and then get paid. Um, and then if a band used them, then you get, you know, royalties from whatever that is. And not that it was always much because it was always used for just, um, you know, th simple things. This was before really social media was a thing. Like Instagram was around, but it was like, you know, everyone just took uh, photos for for fun's sake, not for, you know, that no one was posting. The innocent years of Instagram. Yes, innocent. <laughs> it was actually a memory. It was like you actually post an instant moment of your life. You know, it wasn't let's make some kind of job out of it. So, What did that look like, the royalties aspect, for someone that, that doesn't know how to make royalties off their photos? Um, I mean, so ultimately, like, you send some photos to the to the – whoever your contact is, so if it's their marketing director, maybe it's their true manager, that's whatever your point of contact is, but they'll, um, they basically have your photos attached to your name, you make an agreement of if they use their photos, they will then have to contact you if they use them in whatever aspect. So let's say if they used them on a, on their website for a, like a pop-up promotional of order tickets today or something. And it's a temporary thing, let's say, like which typically is kind of how they were used for just temporary um, posts or whatever, or talking about that tour from that, oh, we went to Seattle, you know, check out these photos, you know, and like then they disappear after two months. Like in that case, they would send you royalties for how what kind of traffic they get from a website or how many times maybe someone clicked on something. It can kind of vary depending on um, the usage of the, of the photo. Um, sometimes it's just a flat fee that they'll, so every, every person has a different agreement and how they do royalties or how they do a, some kind of commission. Do you have an agent that would arrange that for you or do you just kind of do it with the, no, I mean, I just, or you just arrange it and they deal with people, they deal with photographers all the time. And so for them, they, have a standard form that they send you, you sign and then, and their photos, you know, go in some kind of folder with your name attached. And so anytime they end up using those photos for one reason or another, you know, they know who, you know, what they have a form on file. So then that way, like anytime they use it, they go, okay, we send a, a check to this person. And, you know, a lot of times it wasn't like a ton, but it was, you know, for being a college kid, like, it's like sweet, you know, like I, you know, on top of getting paid, like not really, I mean, it was like m kind of a minimum wage job, but your perks was that you got to go to basically whatever concert that was within their list of um, labels they worked with. So, you know, let's say yeah, he had 10 labels that, that he had agreements with that he could, that the owner of New Release Tuesday could attend you yeah. know, and, and cover. And so they, you know, they send a request out. You go, hey, you know, Kevin, like, I really want to uh, shoot the show. It's coming through. Give Make sure it's a, a, at least a couple weeks notice. He sends an email out, you know, which actually kind of led into me learning how to do that because over time there were shows that he didn't have access to because they there was a label that he didn't have agreements to. And so then I would kind of start doing the same thing but just with those you know artists directly or their management directly and then I yeah. um, you know you also get tend to get paid more that way because you're not splitting it with the person you're working for okay you know because you you know I don't I don't get everything because I'm technically I went into that job working for you know the photos in a way kind of are actually owned by New release Tuesday, not by me, because I did that job under their name and not mine. Right. And so, um, but versus, so it, it was almost more of a commission thing, like you get a percentage kind of thing, versus when you do it on your own, you get the percentage, but your percentage is larger because you're not trying to split it with your work. There's no middleman. You are the direct contact now. So, um, and for me, I, you know, but I didn't really ever do it for money. I did it because I love to go to concerts and I, love not having to pay for the best seats in the house, you yeah. know? So. 
So 2012, you go to a concert, you take some photos, you get an opportunity to have those photos seen and used and get paid for it. Yeah. And then you go to college. Where did you go to college? So I, for that semester, I went to uh, Colorado Christian. I left after one semester. Um, now it's January 2013. Um, and I'd already kind of crossed off a lot of other schools that I was planning to go to for one reason or another. Maybe it was cost. Maybe it was I didn't get a scholarship or it just maybe didn't fit me as well as I thought I was hoping it would. But one of the bands I shot for was was Hillsong, and it was their Cornerstone tour. They had this hour hang meet and greet thing going on, and I was like, let me see if I can grab a few pictures of that. Maybe I can get into there. And and I'm still like really new to having this little access pass to get places. And so I'm like testing the boundaries of where I can go with it. And, and I end up back in this room and, um, and I take a few photos, but because they're so just relaxed and chill, it kind of felt a little odd being almost like a paparazzi in a place of, you know, like a place of fellowship. Yeah. Fellowship and a place of it's, it's just like conversation and relaxation. Like it's not really supposed to feel like a, a performance or that you're supposed to be in a spotlight. So I kind of took a few photos and I put my camera away and then I, I spent the the rest of the time, like, um, you know, talking to a couple guys, but one of the guys I talked to, his name is uh, Josh Kimes and, and, he uh, was kind of the guy that was promoting this thing called Hillsong College. And I never heard of it. I, I knew what Hillsong was. It's a church in Australia. They play some music. But, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about them or what the church was like or anything like that. I knew it was really big. And But he kept talking about, like, oh, well, what do you do? Do you do this? full-time, you know, I was like telling them I was a student, I was going to school for biblical studies, but I loved music, and I loved photography, and I, creative things, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know, for and for him, he's like trying to tell me about, oh, this sounds like you're, you'd be perfect for it, like Hillsong, you know, it's a very creative church, they re- lead the way in being innovative as far as church culture is concerned, and so to have a, a, a church that's like really known well for music, really just well known for being creative influentially in, in, around the world, um, I was like, all right, well, like, yeah, that sounds cool. But like, I'm going to school, you know, like in my head, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll go sometime. And I'm like, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to school right now. Like, I'm not going to go to school again after I go to school. And, and well, I didn't at that time, I didn't know I was going to be leaving CCU. I, I had no idea. So that's why I was kind of waving it off. But by the time it hit January that I'm back home now, after leaving that school, like, I was like, well, I don't really have any other options. I guess like maybe I'll look into that, you know, so I kind of check it out and it, it looked interesting and looked like it could be a, actually a really good fit for me and in the different areas that I was hoping to pursue, like not only, um, you know, kind of a, a ministry ministry type role but also um creative roles and so um because they kind of hit all those spots for me i was like well why not you know and so send in my application and and get accepted but i have six months until i'm leaving and and during that six months i kind of played around a little more with photo work spent a lot of time building relationships with with people that I had met the year before that I didn't really get to know. I took a few trips down to Nashville for the first time, um, spent some time in just generally the South, Alabama, Atlanta, um, and then I went out to Australia in July. And so I, I mean, it was a fun six months because it was like a good transition year of, of kind of finding exactly what I was wanting to pursue. Because my whole life, I had, since I was like 12 years old, I thought I was like, I'm going to be a youth pastor. Because my youth pastor was the biggest influence in my life. He taught me a lot about um, who Jesus was and, and how to have a relationship and, and just generally like being intentional with people and in every, every aspect of my relationships, not just, not just God, but people, you know? And so I, you know, having someone like that, that 
taught me all these different things that were, were so key to who I had become. I was like, I, I want to do that. I want to do what he did for me. Because again, I was interning at my church prior to CCU. And so going into this school that was ministry oriented, I was like, well, that's, that's, that would be cool. But I, I also had a huge heart for using my creative skills or talents or whatever you'd like to call them. Um, they, they ended up getting, you know, kind of always just being a hobby, you know, just like photos were always just kind of a hobby, but they were slowly turning into things that weren't no longer just an outlet for me, but it also became a way that I could communicate something. And that's kind of where a big turn happened was I'd always kind of written songs and I knew that music was a way that I could communicate, but I didn't always know like um, photos or just my general writing could really be useful. I didn't necessarily think I was the greatest at it, but in time, you know, as I gotten better, I actually realized like I, I had skills in a lot of different areas when it came to um, creativity and, and my time there was probably spent more at a piano and then I, and then I did anything. Your time in Australia? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably wasn't in my books as much as I could have been. And I mean, to be honest, like I, I, I was the guy that was outside in the, in the, in the hallway and they could hear me playing piano and they're like, Oh, he'll come in once he's done doing what he's doing. And, and then I'd come in, you know, five, 10 minutes late to class. And you know, certain teachers were a little more easy going about that. Some weren't. So you, you just didn't have a choice. But, but some, it's like, they're like, oh, you know, he's going to miss, you know, we'll mark him attending. We can literally hear him right there. Like, all good. You walk in, get your computer out. No, no big deal. Um, but I, did, I put my camera down actually my whole time in Australia um, until towards the end. Tell me about your experience because I'm aware of Hillsong, but the idea of going to college at Hillsong might be um, interesting for a lot of people. What is What was that experience like for you? Like, what would a typical day, and what was your time there like? So, probably not the best rep for it, because my, I went in straight into what they call their, like, degree program. Most people kind of go into what what it looks like is a an option for up to three years, which is... You can do a um, certificate, then diploma, and then an advanced diploma, which if you like, you could transfer towards a degree, which that's if people were going to do, do the degree route, that's the way they did it. They did the three years of Hillsong, added the year and a half, and so they had um, these different certificates, a diploma, and a degree at the end. You know, So they had all these, um, you know, fun papers to have put on your wall. But for, for me, I was like, I just don't want to extend school any longer. I was never really a big school guy. Like I love learning, but I, I just, uh, yeah, school wasn't just like the easiest thing for me always. Um, so, um, I just like, Oh, why would I do the diploma and certificate thing? Like I, I didn't see any advantage to it and I didn't really know much about the program enough to, um, know that there is a big difference between the two and how they would be presented. Um, and so I, I went in for a degree program and I, I mean, I had classes just like anyone else and we had chapels. Um, most people that did the regular program did, they'd have, um, a place of serving that they had to serve at. And then they were often given opportunities, um, to pursue kind of the areas that they were they were wanting to get better at or pursue in, in more of a full-time area post-college. And so, um, but because I went straight into degree, they kind of already figured that you've been around and you had experience and that you probably already had opportunities because most people don't go straight into the degree program because that's not really how it was originally designed to do so. Um, but I, again, I didn't, didn't realize that until I got there. Do you think that was to your detriment or was that an advantage or was it kind of here? Oh, or there? Both, both. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I missed out on probably a lot of opportunities I could have had as far as leadership in, in the church um, and being able to lead at chapels music wise or, um, or maybe have opportunities to, you know, speak on platform um, or things like that. Um, because I, I wasn't in the regular system 
I was just almost treated as like a local who attended, you know, uni and just came to church and, you know, and served in an area of choice. And like, just like basically, just like anyone, not necessarily an international student who's there to grow and pursue in these things. And so the freedom that came from that was probably better for me just because of kind of how I am. I mean, I like to have my freedom and I, I, I don't like to get trapped in what they kind of call the, the church bubble or the, the church cul-de-sac where you kind of live only in and around church and you don't live um, where you just a regular person is, you know, in the neighborhood, we'll say, you know, it's like, I wanted to, I like to, to be out in the city and meet, you know, people. And I don't really, I'm not, it's interesting. I've talked so much about my Christian journey on here, but in, in my day-to-day life, I mean, my faith and, um, doesn't really come up so much is, um, unless it gets asked upon or if it conversationally made sense to talk about, but, um, but I, I, am more of building relationship with people. And in that, like if, um, you kind of earn the right to be heard with people, um, to, to ask about something that is personal, you know, that not everyone necessarily agrees on or, um, or may have different views on. And, um, but, being it's important to me, like it, you know, it would eventually kind of come up in conversation, um, in one way or another, but I, but having the freedom to kind of, you know, I could go play music when I wanted. I didn't have such a strict schedule of like, oh, I have to, you know, serve this many hours and go to this many chapels and do this many of this. And it's like, I had to be in class so many hours, (laughs) um, because of just the law of being an international student. But um, but I didn't have quite as much strict schedule as a normal Hillsong College student would um, because I was kind of both attached to Hillsong College and the partnering university. You're, you're technically, you sign contracts under both schools. Um, and so you kind of get to live in this gray area of, um, well, hopefully because you came out to Australia, you're going to pursue... Um, to serve in the church and to learn and to, you know, but you have to be a lot more intentional about it, which is fine with me because I naturally am an intentional person. So, I mean, ultimately I think it probably fit me better, but I did, I think I lost out on a few opportunities um, because I didn't do the normal one, two, three, then jump into uni. Right. Yeah. Did you get a degree there? Uh, I never finished actually. Oh, okay. I'm a, I'm a college dropout, I guess, technically. Did you decide you weren't going back to Australia when you were in America, or did you leave Australia knowing that you wouldn't come back? I left knowing I wasn't coming back. Okay. Um, I left to basically pursue this book, which involved kind of needing to take this massive trip across the U.S., which I did the trip, and I've collected these stories for, and I have a chunk of it done, but I, I, you kind of you hit reality where you have to make money and you have bills to pay and and time kind of gets taken away really fast when you kind of get back into the real world and out of, you know, a student lifestyle of going to school and working and playing. Yeah. So what's, real quick, what's that, what is that project? And then what was the precipice that transition you from that project to your next stage yeah which it it kind of actually all flows together very well um but i'll I'll give my quick little spit on this the idea is that the this book is going to have two different goals in mind so one goal is that i wanted to make the gospel presented in a relevant way for people i wanted to show people that a book from 2000 years ago it doesn't make sense to the Western world person often unless you take time to look up the culture and context of these stories and of the words. When you actually take the time to look at it, there's the parallel of modern day life stories and the gospel stories are extremely similar. And to paint those pictures, I, I really wanted to 
use people across the board in all senses of the word. So if that was location or demographic, um, whatever it was, like I wanted to do a widespread of people. And originally I was going to do like these send-in stories, but it didn't make sense because the second half of my intention behind the book was to communicate Jesus's way of doing relationships, which was he's intentional and sacrificial in the way that he um, loved people and and pursued people. And like he, he took time. He didn't, he didn't stop because out of convenience, he stopped because he was being intentional with people. Um, And he was sacrificial with, with his, yeah, with his time and with his words and with his whatever he had to offer in that moment um, to that person. Um, and, uh, you know, so for part of, part of it is for the person that would never pick up the Bible or would never walk into a church, I wanted to present real, real stories, um, modern-day life stories that they could easily relate to, um, kind of share my leading up to how I met them and and show that like it wasn't always easy for me to uh, make those conversations happen um, because I never made them really forcive. I just kind of let them naturally take place. Set up a conversation for me, like a, a typical situation. So I, it wasn't always typical. That's the thing. I, cause I'll, I'll give you one of the stories. I'll, I'll explain one. And so like one guy I was in, okay, Waco, Texas, and um, I pulled in and I, I was going to, I always tried to take some time to write down stories from the previous time or make a post or edit my pictures or whatever. So I would take time to, to kind of work on that. Cause I was also working with brands on the side Okay, um, okay. that kind of helped funded some of my trip, um, which is, which is kind of how it, what transitioned me into photos full time was, was a, a big part of this trip was like, oh, well, if I'm going to travel across the States, I bet these brands would want to uh, partner with me in some way. Yeah, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about this Waco, <laughs> this, this gentleman from Waco, and then let's talk about how brands kind of funded your your way. So met this guy in Waco. I'd pull in. I was working at the coffee shop, um, and I kind of, when you walk in, I, I just kind of, tend to know if I passed someone or if I walked by them. I just, I was like, ah, that's the person. I don't always knew how the conversation would happen or how I would, because the conversations I wanted, I wanted them to sh- kind of really share who they were. I didn't want this small talk. And that was a big part of being intentional was people feeling like they had someone that was listening and was actually going to know who they were. And not just, you know, I know your name, know you're from and your favorite food or something. And it's like, no, I really, I want, I like to know who people are, their desires, their passions, their past, their, what they want their future to be. So, um, uh, I was there for quite a while cause I was, that was a place that I could just post up and, um, towards the end of the night, I, was asking him about if there was any good place to get something to eat that was still open because Waco is kind of a dead town in the summer. It's a college town. It's like that's really the only thing that exists there other than that the big Magnolia fixer-upper thing. Yeah. Um, and so summer, it's like all the college kids are gone, so all the businesses are like short of their hours, and they, you know, there's not a ton of people that live in Waco, really. So a lot of the restaurants were, were closed by the time I was leaving this coffee shop, and he goes, oh, well, there's this place called the the dancing bear um and he goes they and outside there's a taco truck and he goes i think you could probably you know there should be open and i was like all right sweet and we both ended up now going to this place to get tacos and a beer and he kind of asked me kind of more of who are you why you know what are you doing in waco and because he obviously i'm not from there so i kind of tell him just about like oh i'm traveling and then he kind of asked more questions so i tell him a little bit about this, this book idea, but I'm not, you know, with no really intentions of him opening up to be a story, just, just answering some questions, you know, we're just having a conversation. And then I tell him about how, um, in the South, I always wanted to drop a bottle off, uh, a water tower like they do in the movie Sweet Home Alabama. 
And uh, and he goes, well, we don't really have water towers. He goes, but we have rooftops. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds sick. I mean, most of the places had locked up or taken down their ladders to get up to the roof anymore. And he goes, but he goes, I think I, I know one we could get into. So we follow him and I pull up to this size building and we had to kind of like wall jump onto the ladder, swing our legs up, you know, all while like carrying our stuff. And we get up to this top of the building and he, and we just generally, he talks about the Alamo because there's a big Alamo sign we could see from the rooftop and we just chat for a while. But so then, are you recording all this as he's talking? No, it's just all, all in my head and okay. I write about it when I get back. Um, and so he, but then he starts talking about how he's, um, he kind of had a life change on this rooftop. He goes, yeah, one of the guys that was my mentors, he, I was, all my friends were leaving off to college and I didn't really know uh, what I was going to do or where to go. I kind of just felt a little bit useless. He's like, I just like this townie kid that lives here, especially in a college town, you know, like everyone's going to these expensive colleges and he's like, I'm taking like a couple community college classes and, and, um, but I, I, he wasn't really pursuing much at that time and he didn't really have, feel like he had a whole lot of use. And so this guy was speaking into him and, and about actually who he was and who he could be as a, as a man and like being an example to the, you know, the areas that he can be around. Um, and then his life kind of changed from that moment. Um, and that all happened on that rooftop. And he, he didn't take you to that rooftop because it was his idea. You were like, I want to drop something off a rooftop. Yeah, I mean, I just I just, I just, just thought it was a, like a... I kind of was making a joke ultimately about the the water tower. I mean, it would have been cool, but um, but he's like, well, we have rooftops. And like, because that's what they do in that town. They climb on rooftops. And it's like, all right, cool. Like, I always wanted to experience every town kind of as a person who lives there would. And so that's what we did. You know, we did what he, you know, likes to do or has done in the past. And so, yeah, yeah, we just kind of followed him along really along his journey in a, in a really quick sense, you know, and then he shares about his story and it started with just kind of small talk and, and, and which somehow always leads into, um, a right question or, or an opportunity for them to go like, Oh, this guy's listening or yeah. cares about who I am. And and when you take a moment to care about who someone is, ultimately then they they tend to open. People have a desire for a relationship on some level. Um, and I believed that, and that's I left on my trip with that hope and intention that that would show true to me, and which, which it did. Yeah. Um, now, like leaving, like you said, like leaving this trip, I, again, I'd worked with a bunch of brands. I had a bunch of different products from bags to blankets, shirts, wallets, stickers, uh, camera lenses. and Let's back up though. <laughs> so the guy on, the, the, guy on the, the rooftop, was that kind of his story? Was that he had a mentor speak into him on that rooftop? Was yeah, there anything, I mean, anything after that? I mean, he, he, from there, he, um, started volunteering more with like kids in his church and he just kind of took a role in his community um, versus before he kind of was like, well, if I'm not doing what all my other friends are doing. He didn't feel like he had much to offer then. You know, you feel not quite as significant if everyone else is doing something that seems so exciting and significant when you're like the barista in a small town you know, oh, baristas are hugely significant. <laughs> you know, I mean, I love them, but but you know, often people are like it. It's almost like a joke. Like people come back from college and they're like, "Oh, I got a barista job," you know, and I have a master's or something. You oh, know, baristas are like the bartender of like the twenty first century. You know, uh, like in the movies where like you go to a the guy always goes to the bar. And is like, so what's what's going on, Hal? How's your life going? He just spills his guts. Yeah, right. And you're just positioned to just be like, oh. Let's be. Let's find some positivity, or you know, I don't know. I think baristas like have an amazing position to be influential in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but it's funny because it switched for him. You know, he's now on the other side of the counter in a way. You know, it's like I, I'm the one hearing his story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, ultimately, like he 
he was opening to, you know, get to know who I was in the same time. So um, there was definitely, there was a mutual agreement to make a connection, we'll say. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he would take you up on a roof after just meeting you. Yeah. And share all that. That's really cool. Yeah. And which that's, you know, and that's what often happened for many people. Like there, not every conversation I had was these full life story things, but Sometimes they were just a quick little tidbit, and and those were valuable as well. But for this project specifically, I it's almost you know it still kind of amazes me the amount of people that just kind of spill their heart out to me because I was just there. Yeah, do you foresee this project um, taking fruition at all in the near future? Or I mean, it- I, I've been wanting to say it'll be complete, you know, for. You know, it, this summer is three years since I left. Okay. Um, but um, it, it's difficult because, I mean, the, the, I think the hardest part now is because I wanted to find paralleling stories is that takes the most time because I want to be really thoughtful about um, making sure I'm not forcing something into place. I want something to actually match because it, because it does. Um, and I want to tell the right stories and... Um, because I'm not going to use every story that I, that I collected over my trip, like it, just because of that would make too big of a book. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be this thing that no one actually will read because it's too large or too big. Like right. you need, I want to have pictures associated in there as well to kind of help tell the story. Um, and so because it's going to have a little more of a, a visually appealing um, side to it, it will be bigger than just if you had a bunch of words on a page. Yeah. Um, and so, but there's a lot of books that I have as well that I'm like, yeah, they're cool, but I've read, you know, maybe a couple chapters of them because they just are like intimidatingly large. I don't know if that's a word, but we're going to go with that. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> I, I had a book that I started writing in high school. Not a book, but a song. Uh-huh. I had a song that I started writing in high school, right when I didn't even know how to, I couldn't even play and I couldn't play chords and sing at the same time, but I was writing songs. Yeah. And I got the first two verses and then I couldn't, I just walked away from it. And then my last year in college, like I revisited the song and it was like, and I had this verse that like I would not have been able to write Hmm. when I was in high school. That song needed like four or five years to be completed. Yeah. And if I had forced it in high school, then it wouldn't be that good but yeah and, and i hope that my years of life and experiences over the last three years have been more beneficial for for it than detrimental totally yeah <laughs> you know yeah. um i think your story is common to many creatives you have this vision you have this dream of um completing something in, in your heart but you got to pay the bills while you're doing it yeah and so you found a way during that trip to um get brands to pay you to help, you know, facilitate money to to pay for your trip. What yeah. did that look like? How did you get in touch with those brands, and then how did they um, compensate you for your work? So some of them were for this the sake of building portfolio and experience, but some of them were you know compensation. And so you write an email, you send, "This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm pursuing. I would love to bring you guys along this trip. Um, I can provide this many." Um, images as I'm crossing the, the U.S. and so in these um, really well-known or really beautiful places that maybe aren't known to, to many, um, you're taking your item and you're kind of creating quick little sets. You kind of select where certain items would probably fit better than others. Some were more than happy to offer uh, compensation on top of for those photos when some of the brands were maybe a little bit smaller and they um, more could only just really do um, a trade and, and you, but you're also kind of building relationship, which a lot of those brands ended up being, you know, clients later on for me um, because, you know, some of those that as I kind of built as a photographer, their brand built and their marketing budget built as well. And so they were able to, actually, you know, pay what they would like to pay you. And I I totally get that because, you know, I've been in situations where I would love to compensate someone 
to their full worth. And but sometimes you're like, I just don't have the ability to. I'd love to have you apart um, and be apart, but um, this is what this is all I can offer. And so, um, you know, but I I ended up working for um, one of the brands I brought along with me after um, my trip, actually. Um, what brand was that? Uh, Filson. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is out of Seattle. So I worked at their uh, headquarters here, um, their flagship building. And it was interesting because I, I originally just applied because I wanted to, I just needed some money after I got back. And I probably had four or five interviews with them because uh, I went in, we did a group interview. They called me back for an individual interview. And then they called me back again because they're like, actually, we want to present to you this other option we have for you. What do you think about this? you know, have a think on it, you know, and I come back and then, and so then we talk about what that would look like because it's an experimental position for them. It was a in-store brand rep, I guess, ultimately is what it was. Um, but they wanted to be able to collect stories for their blog called Filson Life. Um, as well as you are basically selling the brand to them because their factory, Uh, One of their factories is on the first floor as you enter into their building, and then you walk up to the store on the second floor. And so you're the first person you see, the last person they see. um, It's a heritage brand. It's been around a long time. Most of those people come in and have an item already because either they have owned it um, previously um, or it's been passed down from their a family member because their stuff lasts for so long. And so you, you watch people walk in and they, they gaze at the walls of old used jackets or they're looking through the factory. And, and in those moments, they're having some kind of thought. And my job really was to pull those thoughts out. <laughs> and because I had just done a trip where I basically did that exact same thing, they wanted me to do that for them. Okay. You know, and so... Um, and that's what I did. I mean, you have really a minute to connect to someone or less. Um, and and how know, would you how would you do that? I mean, l- let's say someone, you know, there's a guy that's looking at one of the the jackets that are framed on the wall, and I'd walk. I just casually walk over there, and sometimes you didn't have to say anything. Sometimes just standing next to them, they would start to tell you <laughs> what their thought was. And sometimes you would maybe ask a, a leading question about or make a comment about, um, you know, oh man, you know, this, this jacket is actually 60 years old. It was, and it's been, it was used for 35 years in the, you know, the, the mills and, and they go, oh yeah, my, you know, my, my grandpa had a jacket just like this, you know, and he, and, and then he gave it to my dad and he still uses it when he goes out hunting. And all of a sudden they just start talking about these stories that they're associating with, these visuals that they're seeing because Filson's a, a very visual store. Like they, with the instant you walk in there, you're like in a whole, you're in their world. You're, you have left whatever city you were in and you've walked into this wilderness kind of cabin, like rugged feel, which is what Filson is. They're, you know, wax canvas and wool jackets and, um, bags and all sorts of stuff. And so, um, you know, people sometimes are looking at the factory and they're like, man, you know, who, who knew that, uh, America still, you know, made stuff, you know? And then they would talk about whatever their experience was with, with American goods or, or then they would bring up, you know, their own personal story with, with Filson and how, why they're there, you know? And some people would walk away with the item that they came for but a lot of the times you know my job wasn't so much to sell them an item it's to sell the brand of who Filson was and how respectable it is and it's like people like that brand because yes it's expensive but it lasts as long as they say it lasts it will actually last a lifetime or longer as long as you take care of it and it's made in the U.S. and it's using like natural materials. I mean, nothing against Patagonia or North Face or Arterix because I have those items as well. But I mean, I'm I'm a big supporter of them because, you know, they they have stuck to who they are since the beginning. They they've they've expanded, but they've never really lost a vision of of what they do, the people they serve. They've only um, further their their audience. Um, and, and I love that. I love the, because it's a over a hundred year old 
business brand, like it has so many stories attached to it. And I, I love that. I love to watch people's little eyes light up as they're sharing about whatever is going through their heads. Cause you ask them one little question or you just literally just stood next to them. Yeah. It's amazing to see with Filson that thing is that the more that they're true to who they are, the more that they're true to their heritage, I feel like they're able to um, appeal to people on a broader market. Yeah. Because people long for that, that true heritage. And really I think, because I follow Filson, it seems like they're trying to discover who they are a little bit. Would you say that? I think recently they've um, just recently kind of taken a bit of a turn. Um, and uh, I mean, they've, I feel like they, for the most part, have done pretty well about s- staying true. Um, but at the same time, like sometimes with with a brand that has items that last forever and aren't always the most practical to everyone, um, you have to be creative on how to how to still stay true, but maybe take a different angle. In, in presenting it to other people. Um, and, and again, being more about expanding, not switching. You know, you're not like, you're not changing direction. You're just adding, you know, an, an extra path onto, you know, your available options. Um, you know, it's, it, it's when people take, you know, which they have done in the past, unfortunately, they've had moments where they've taken... Um, a completely different turn in who they do, they, they are, what they make, or what their audience was, and they lost a lot of customers, and they had to, they had to earn that loyalty back from them, and showing them like, no, we're, we're we still do serve these people, like we still, um, you know, make goods for the, the American worker. So you would meet these people in the lobby of Filson as they're walking through, and you kind of walk up next to them and ask them questions or get to know them a little bit. What would you do with that content? What would you do with those stories? If the story expanded into something that was in-depth enough, um, I would often write a lot of notes down and I would try to get their, their name and contact down. At the end of the day, I would s- send my notes out to marketing upstairs and or maybe sometimes by the end of the week, but I would I would have like a notepad of just... <laughs> all these different people's stories that were potentially um, stories that could be used to to go into their blog at Filson Life or um, maybe their social media. And because Filson also, all of their catalogs and all of their media, like all of their photos and videos, they're all of real customers. And so um, a part of my job, officially or unofficially, um, would be to collect these stories and help um, guide the marketing to these right these right people that could help um, maybe potentially be the the face of their new you know so you were kind catalog. of catalog it's like I was a kind of a discovery person for them you know it's like I you know every conversation had innocent and, and natural intentions of just ha- building that relation that quick relationship with them but um, but if it, it opened up the opportunity, I mean, my eyes and ears were open for people that potentially could fulfill those roles of um, being a face of the new catalog or being um, on Filson Life and those stories being shared. Or, you know, if there were, you know, there was one guy that was a, on a really cool ranch in Oregon and and he, you know, has bought Filson for years and he was kind of telling, telling me about um what he's done on this ranch and how many people that work there and what all he's done and, and how long he's had it. And, and so I, I wrote all these things down and he, I mean, he was like a classic kind of Filson face, like thick, you know, beard and kind of rugged looking and all he wears is kind of his Western and Filson attire. And I mean, he, he was, he's the real part. He's not some guy just kind of, pretending to be a rancher he is a he is a rancher who uses Filson as a very main um, outfitter for him and so um you know that was I remember that guy really distinctly and that was one of the guys that you know ended up 
being a big conversation mm-hmm. um, between marketing and him and and you know and then however they would take it past there was wasn't in my hands I would just kind of scout out some of these people as I'm meeting um, people that come to the door do you know if anyone that you scouted out do you know if any of them ended up in the the brochure or? I I think there is probably a handful I think some of these rancher guys there was a lady that um, that I met as well that worked up in Alaska. Um, I mean, because we get people from literally all over the place because they want to see the factory. They wanted to go to the flagship, like people that were fans of this brand, just like any person that's a fan of something, they want to go to the first or the main one or whatever. It's like, so, I mean, we, yeah, we have people from all over the world jump through these doors and you would have, you never know, you know, um, who they were unless you ask, you know, so. So what was your transition from Filson? Because you're not working for Filson anymore. No. So I was there from, you know, maybe like end of September to springtime. I don't know, say April or something. I I don't remember the exact dates, but I was there for like, I don't know, six to eight months or so. Because the position was more of an experimental position, it it wasn't guaranteed to be a lasting long position, which I took because I, I also wasn't planning to stay there forever, but I also wasn't planning to leave at that time. I wasn't ready yet. Um, but I, I was doing freelance jobs on my weekends. And so I'd fly out, um, on, you know, Sunday evening after I got off and I'd come back, you know, Monday night or Tuesday, and then I would go to work, uh, for Filson. And so, um, I was definitely pursuing that in on the side. Um, also when I came back because of the, these experience of my trip working with brands, um, I kind of learned pretty fast that it was something that I, I could do pretty easily. Um, I knew how to pitch and I knew how to, uh, provide the content they wanted. And so, um, the experimental job ended because there wasn't quite enough, um, traction of people throughout the whole year to really make sense for me being there, at least not at that time for them. And so, uh, sounds like a great experience though. Oh, I mean, it was awesome. I, I mean, most of my wardrobe is still because I got from there for, you know, a good percentage off or because they gave it to you every season cause you get a X amount of clothes. And so, um, it was awesome though. I mean, I loved every part of it. I have a huge respect for, for them. Um, because I worked there and really learned about, their language and their culture and who they are and who, where they've been and where they're going. So after leaving Filson, yeah. what did your life look like? I, I traveled a lot still. I mean, I kind of did what I was doing on my weekends, but I, I did it, you know, I could do it kind of more throughout the week, which actually a lot of times was, was better because I could get, um, I could have more time for them. Like a lot of times they don't want to work with you on the weekends. They want to work with you during the week a brand does or a company or something. And so, um, cause no one wants to spend their weekend, you know, working on a photo shoot or a campaign or whatever. And so, uh, understandable. But so now that freed up my week, I would be traveling. If I was driving down to Oregon or, um, up to Seattle area or Canada or flying to New York or California or even back to Nashville, like I, um, worked in all these different places, wherever really the brand was or where they, their setting was going to fit. And so I, um, yeah, I mean, I got a cool travel credit card and I was like all pumped about it. And I was, cause I was traveling all the time. It was fun. It was like kind of what I always wanted, um, to do is as far as like photography was concerned. So you're flying all around the country. You're, yep. you're doing stuff locally. You're doing stuff, you know, nationally. Um, but now here you are, you own a, a studio in your hometown. Yeah. Um, what, what made you go from traveling so much to choosing to kind of put down roots where you came from? Yeah. I mean, I, I love, I mean, I love relationships with people and I have relationships with people across really the world, um, because of school and then because of work and whatever else it kind (laughs) of leads to one thing to the next, but, um, but there wasn't consistency for me and the lack of consistency in relationship uh is kind of what I was missing and 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 I also wasn't around with my family much you know I've been really absent for five years or so um and so and my brother just had a baby a few months prior 
to my decision of staying. And so um, between wanting to be around my family, wanting to build in these re- new relationships I've kind of built in the area, like I just need I just needed a stable, <laughs> consistent life. Um, and as much as I still miss sometimes traveling as much as I did, um, ultimately the, the, I think this has been a, a probably a healthier life for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your studio. Like what, what is your hopes and your dreams for this place and where do you see yourself going? Yeah. Here? So the, the studio launched out of, I mean, originally it's kind of fun cause it's, it's got to develop over, um, the time that I started it originally, it's like, Oh, I'm gonna have a cool photo studio. And then as I, as I opened it, I was like, well, I think it needs to be more than just a photo studio because the area that I'm in doesn't use this space as I would have maybe desired it to be. And and that was probably more of a, my choice of placement of where I have it and here in Gig Harbor versus like Tacoma or Seattle where it's a little more urban. Um, they kind of understand maybe the concept or the, the idea of a naturalized studio a little bit better. Um, and so it kind of expanded into this um, creative studio is kind of what I call a creative studio and event space. And, and, but my ultimate goal was that I wanted to then make it a space that not only I could create, but could be a, like in a way, a hub for other creatives. Um, so I launched things like what was called like the coffee club that I would do every Monday. And, and on that Monday, people from all around town, um, if they were business owners or, um, people that maybe worked for, um, a local, just worked for a local business and had the mornings off, or maybe they were students or just people that either were seeking community and, or a place to create, this became kind of their community for those creative people. Um, and, and which that, that really, kind of started to give me um a little more fuel for what I was really desiring was was to have people to come in here and and if it's a, a podcast like the one we're doing today uh, a photo shoot or a, an event that talks about whatever their creative endeavor is like I, I wanted this space to be able to be maneuverable and and available um, to those people, like obviously for a, a fee, you know, cause it has to pay for itself. But, um, but being that I, I also have a pretty good eye for a lot of different areas of creativity. It's easy for me to help, um, direct people if they either desire it, want it, need it. Um, and I mean, now I, I've kind of also now to, start working into the fall I'm wanting to um, work with more um, colleges and universities pulling in some of those students from um, Tacoma or from Gig Harbor that are in art programs or that need a studio space um, and start to kind of build um, a clientele that's outside of what is right now which is kind of almost pretty random um, and, and a lot of times they're, they've come back and which has been really fun to see. Um, but they, they weren't what I assumed when I opened it, I was thinking, Oh, there'd be a bunch of kind of twenties, thirties, you know, early forties, kind of that age group, you know, like, um, and I've gotten more like forties is kind of like the young <laughs> of okay. people that I tend to get in here. And, but that's also what the, the age bracket of Geek Harbor is is a lot of people that are more in their 40s, 50s, 60s, um, and then their their kids. But um, a lot of the college kids that I would try to hope to get for the younger families, a lot of them don't do a lot of life here in Gig Harbor. They go to school or they go do life in the city across the bridge in Tacoma. Um, so because of that, I don't I don't really reach the kind of people that I would have assumed to take advantage of the studio. Yeah. Um, but so that's why I'm, I'm finding different ways to be able to do that. Um, as well as trying to look into, um, putting in a coffee bar at the beginning, the front of the space to, um, help give people another reason to kind of hang out here and, and hopefully build interest and, 
Um, the longer people kind of sit in a space, the more they go, huh, like I know someone who, or man, I could use a photo or I could use a space or whatever a conversation maybe it starts with between me and them and they, we start doing something together. Um, so, but you have to get kind of people more reason to be in here for those kind of thoughts and conversations to happen. Yeah. So interesting, uh, from a business perspective of a professional photographer planning on roots, creating a studio space, and then using that space to develop relationships for, for your business. I mean, but that's, I mean, that's what I've been my whole life is, I mean, people ask me like, like, you know, what, what, you know, is photos your biggest passion or man, you get to, you know, do a job that's what you're passionate about. I'm like, yeah, I'm passionate about it, but it's, it's not ever been my number one passion, really. I mean, it's been probably more like number three. I mean, I would say, you know, people and my faith, that's that's right, number one right there. And and number two is music, and then number three is 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 photos. And so really like my my love for relationship, um, which I think really comes stems out of my faith, um, has what impacted my desire and maybe fueled my, my areas of, of music and photos and wanting to, you know, tell stories and explain topics through those avenues, um, and make, let people connect. And so having a studio, I mean, just really doing the same thing I've done with anything is, well, now I have this creative space. Well, what am I going to do with it? Well, I'm going to build relationships, creative relationships, but relationships nonetheless. That's so great. That's so great. What are your hopes for the next five years? Or are you even thinking about the next five years? Oh, I mean, I've thought about a lot of things. I mean, I want to ultimately keep this space. Um, I've had a few different ideas as far as like, I kind of want to start doing a little less individual jobs um, as far as outside of the studio, because I'm doing quite a a bit of individual jobs. I want to take on a little bit more of clientele of businesses again, but I'm trying to stay um, local as much as possible. Um, but that would help, um, give me a little more financial freedom to, to invest into the studio. Um, but then I want to expand it into hopefully, um, building out a, uh, like a co-work space or a co-create space. Um, you know, which is, uh, maybe a, a further idea than just having an office space that looks cool or whatever, but, um, maybe even a space that, spaces really that allow more craves to create because i mean this space is cool but i mean it's only (laughs) it's only so big it can only offer so much so for for me i go well what if you had a building that really um lots of different creatives could invest in this this one massive studio that had all these different studios if it's a you know a, a kitchen studio or a a music studio or a leather wood shop place or, you know, and then you have kind of your co-working people that have their offices. And so you, you kind of have a few different things going on, but ultimately like those people that are up in the offices tend to need those people that are creating things. Um, and so being able to have a place that both are creating in the same space, um, you're giving people more option and, and more reason to invest into this this building or this membership. Um, and that's obviously a massive endeavor. Um, and that's, you know, that's why I say it's probably more on the further of the five than, than the closer. Um, you know, closer is probably getting that coffee bar in here. Um, again, working with, you know, maybe some businesses again. So I am freeing up my time, um, doing less jobs for more money. And yeah, I still have to put obviously time and effort into them, but, um, hopefully it will free up some of my time to be able to invest in to things like finishing my book or, <laughs> um, investing into, um, relationships that I don't always feel like I have time for, um, which is again, a big reason why I stayed here in the first place. So that's cool, man. Great story. It's it's really great talking to you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. How can people find you on social media, or how can they find your your studio? Uh, it's just at the Harbor Studio, all one word, or at Nick Bolera. Um, and if you go to either profile, uh, the other one's listed in the little blurb up there. So, 
Yeah, I mean, they kind of show different things. One's studio-specific, and the other's generally just um, different things I've shot and places I've gone, and um, maybe a, yeah, more of maybe personal work than studio-specific work. But And do you have websites? Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, either nickbalera.life or theharborystudio.life. Um, I know it's not a .com, it's a .life. <laughs> That's new. What's what's .life? Is it any certain thing or is uh, it just... I mean, I, they have a little website that explains what .life is, but I mean, I just thought it was, was kind of interesting. Like life, it kind of makes sense of the things that I value, people, you know, so... <laughs> Yeah, I just thought it was kind of fun. It would make people may hopefully stop and actually look at it then go, oh, .com, whatever, you know, and they just wave it off. So it's hopefully going to be like an eye catcher and make people kind of do exactly what you did. Huh, interesting. Totally, awesome. So. All right, Nick Bolera with The Harbor Studio. You can find him at nickbolera.life, theharborstudio.life. Really great talking with you. Yeah, thanks again. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and find us on social media. This is Shane Simonson signing off. Until next time.